Well, hello everybody. We are back in the real thick of COVID again, and I am losing or have long lost my sense of time. I spoke to today's guest, Rianne Ravenscroft, way back in April. I'd forgotten what a terrific conversation it is, so I am glad that you are here. I thought it was an interesting coincidence that Rianne mirrored exactly what last episode's guest, Sarah Axelson, said about how women are often told, as they ask for equity, to be grateful for what they do have. What also struck me talking to Rianne is how often female athletes are doing their jobs training and competing and additionally doing so much to achieve equity in their sport. Sometimes that work brings great satisfaction and pride. Sometimes it's simply an extra burden. Rianne finishes things off by asking all of us to speak up whenever we encounter inequity. Let's meet Rianne. Here today is Rianne Ravenscroft, Vice Director of the Cyclists Alliance, the labor organization representing professional cyclists in UCI Women's World Tour events. Rianne is a corporate and commercial lawyer with 15 years experience. As a Vice Director, she is in charge of working with stakeholders like the UCI, teams, and race organizers on a daily basis. Like everyone who works at the Cyclist Alliance, she is a former racer. Rianne raced competitively from the age of nine as a runner, triathlete, and cyclist. Welcome, Rianne. I want to give you extra thanks for being here because I know with COVID-19, you are juggling much more than normal. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So just to get us up to speed, can you tell me a bit more about what you do at the Cyclist Alliance? Yeah, so I joined the Cyclist Alliance in about September of last year. I've come on board to try and add a bit of my corporate experience to try and shape the strategy, um, amplify the voice of the TCA and also um, come in as somebody from outside cycling. So try and look at things in a different way and um, try and make a wider reach really for the Cyclist Alliance in general to build on all the excellent work they've been doing. They have been doing excellent work. I'm really impressed. And could you also lay out the current situation for top road cyclists in the world? Yeah, so at the moment, the road cyclists aren't very well represented when it comes to kind of basic employment rights and working rights and things that you would imagine to expect from a professional athlete. So, for example, 61% of female cyclists earn less than £15,000 a year. 84% of riders signed a contract without any legal assistance. Even when they are paid, a significant amount of them have to reimburse their own team for standard services that you would associate with a professional cyclist, for example, mechanical assistance or medical testing. Oh, you're kidding. Um, so, no, no, I wish I was. It's 51% have had to do that. Wow. So they're not very well represented in terms of their employment rights, I, I would argue. And I just feel that they don't, also don't benefit on a commercial basis from the wider sport of cycling. Yeah, they certainly aren't getting the media coverage no no like most women's sports right a lot it's of not... that is is marginalized but I do also think it, it's incredibly disproportionate for women cycling as well we're also going to get into that but before we do can you talk about what the organization is focusing on right now yeah, so we just totally um, redefined our strategy to try and make it really clear what we are planning to achieve over the next two to three years what we really wanted to do we set out seven key milestones and points that we were working on that we saw as a minimum benchmark for success. And those were focusing on all riders earning a minimum salary, all riders to receive maternity leave, all racing and training expenses covered, paid vacation days, all support team members to be qualified, checked and professional, basic insurance for all riders as standard. Um, and combining that with a universal standardized approach to race safety. I mean, these are all kind of baseline minimum standards you would expect in a professional sport that they don't have in cycling. 
but also we really wanted to concentrate on amplifying the voice, the united voice of women's cycling and also the fans of women's cycling. I think a lot of them don't even really know or understand the, the inequality that the women's peloton face. So it's just getting that wider message out there. That, that's our aims for the next few years. I mean, one thing that I think about a lot is the work that Billie Jean King did in tennis, you know, a long time ago at this point. And yep. she was so successful with, you know, eventually being able to get all the players on board or most of the players on board. So what have your experiences been with the riders? Yeah, so the riders we've been working with, and for example, the riders on the Rider Council are all very committed to to making change and to making change for everybody in the peloton, not just for themselves. But I think a lot of them as well don't don't even realise that there's support out there. And a lot of them, I think, also don't realise how bad the situation can be and there's a significant power imbalance as well I think so sometimes people are grateful to have the spot on the team and don't perhaps want to be seen to be standing up or rocking the boat they don't want to risk that position which would then have an impact on their Olympic potential their world potential you know there's there's a lot tied up in it and standing up and speaking out so you know we're trying to really make clear that it's a united voice and it's a united front and trying to get the peloton and the wider audience to understand that standing together is a much stronger way to make change and and it's for all of their benefits. Yeah, I mean, I've had the opportunity to look at a lot of sports and, you know, it's so interesting to see the same tactics used over and over again by the people who have power and, you know, really doing their best to prevent people from speaking out. I think that's it's genius on their part in some ways. Yeah, yeah, it's very much divide and conquer effect. It's probably not just in women's cycling, it's in all cycling. And and it's, you know, making them feel that they're grateful to have that spot and that opportunity and that that will be taken away. And when you hold all of the cards, it's very difficult for the female athletes to stand up and speak out. Right. So how are the riders reacting to this idea of uniting and, you know, being willing to stand up and, and maybe sacrificing something? Yeah, I I think they've all responded very well. The women I've spoken to are all very strong women. I mean, they're all brilliant athletes, committed, you know, they're dedicated to their sport and to what they're trying to achieve. Um, They're very strong women and together I think they will be a very good united front. Yeah, it's been very well received, but I still think there's a bit of a way to go. We don't have 100% representation in the women's peloton and and that's something we're working on. But yeah, I, I I think it's been well received so far. Great. Since you work so much with the female athletes, the riders... Like, what's their take on all this? Yeah, I think they're frustrated. I think that it's a a difficult place for them to be as well sometimes because they're just trying to do the sport that they love, they're passionate about. To not get paid the same as a man is galling, no matter what job you do, but then to be consistently sort of denied the ability to earn more because the only way that women's cycling will be commercially more viable is if more coverage is given. If that coverage isn't being given or is being denied or or the same kind of calibre races aren't being put on by the governing body, then you're you're being denied that ability to try and increase your wages of your own volition. You know, so I, I just think that it's incredibly frustrating place to be in if you don't perhaps feel supported by the people who are supposed to be promoting your sport. Right, right. And you recently received a very nice grant from the Rafa Foundation. Can you talk about that yes. and what you're going to be using that for? Yeah, so a lot of that is trying to help us implement the strategy over the next few years, professionalise the the TCA, you know, with the, the work that the original women working on it, Iris and Carmen and Gracie have done is incredible. And on a, a very, very small 
budget, you know, in the low single figure thousands, they've been achieving this on. Um, so it really helps to kind of professionalize the organization. It's helped us do some additional hires to hire somebody for the day to day implementation. It's helped us hire an ethics officer so that they can be a one stop shop really for people coming in with complaints and also to try and reach a, a wider audience. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a really great amount of money. We'll be spending it over the next three years to try and achieve all of our goals. That's great. It's really exciting that they recognized you. I think that's one of the big bonuses of a grant like that. Yeah, I I think Rafa have done a great job of recognizing grassroots um, organizations and and Rafa are pretty good at spotting trends and change. And they know that the way in which the sport needs to change and move to. And I think they're giving their grants, they're recognizing that and trying to help to move it forward. Right, right. Now, obviously, we're talking during COVID-19. So can you talk about how you think that's going to impact the future of women's cycling? And in particular, I really worry about women's teams and races and coverage and sponsorship being the first to get cut during this time. Yeah, yeah. And that that is a significant concern, I think, for lots of women's sports. Right. We're trying to think on the positive for it at the moment. I think that time for any disruption is the time to innovate. So we're trying to concentrate on the positive and, and really amplify the women in this moment and focus on their stories and show them as athletes. And we're doing that across our social. Um, we're giving them the tools that they need to try and challenge any inequality they see or, or anything, say, if they're struggling with their contract, we've put out a, a fact sheet so that we can give them a bit of power so that they can have some negotiation skills and experience when they're pushing back on on their teams. But yes, I mean, that is the the problems with cycling and they only last insofar as the the money and the sponsorship is there and you will have seen that the UCI put a statement out um, two days ago or yesterday I think it was talking about the future of cycling and the Tour de France and rescheduling the race calendar and they didn't make any reference to the women's race calendar so yeah it is a big concern. Yeah I did want to actually talk about that I mean, it's so frustrating when that just happens over and over again. And as you pointed out in your tweet about that UCI changing calendar, you've been trying to get them to work with you for a long time. Yeah, yeah. We've been asking for representation. I think that we do a good job of engaging and representing the majority of the female riders. They trust us. They know that we're independent and we're operating for their interests. So for us not to be at the table or even being asked our our opinion um, or asked to survey the riders to see their opinion just shows that actually there wasn't really any concern given to the women's peloton at all. And all of it was given over to commercial interests. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with the frustration of working with an organization like that that has made it very clear that they're just not interested in working with women? Yeah, I, I think my way of looking at it is that if they won't engage, then you go out to the wider world and you get them to engage with you. You know, we don't have to follow the same path that men's cycling has followed and they have to see that the time is changing and they need to innovate otherwise because cycling in general needs to change it needs to innovate and it needs to engage more Uh, younger riders coming in it's competing with lots of other sports that are gaining popularity if it doesn't change cycling will not continue I think the only way to channel when you have frustration is to put it into innovation and trying to think of different ways to do things. I don't think we should necessarily follow the path that the men's cycling has followed. If if they won't engage with us, then we will just continue to do what we think is right. We will make our voices as loud as possible and we will just continue and we will gather support. We will keep on speaking and keep on shouting until they can't, you know, there's no option but to listen to us. 
Before I ask you my next question, I want to sort of go over some stats that I found before I talk to you. There are only two women on the 18-member management committee of the UCI, three out of 19 if you want to include the director general who is a woman. The 12-member road commission includes only two women. And I also, because I'm U.S.-based, I looked at USA Cycling, and they have similar representation, you know, like two out of 15. Yeah. How can we expect parity if that's what we're dealing with? And honestly, when I was looking into the numbers, I ended up quite sick to my stomach yeah it it yeah it's really frustrating when you look at it because they're in you know you don't they don't necessarily have to be a woman to be representing the interests of women cycling but when you look at the the kind of demographic of people that are in power and making the decisions they're, they're not anybody who've ever previously expressed interest in women cycling apart from a a, a nod to putting it on or, or or dealing with them there's no genuine interest there in pushing it as a sport but yeah yeah it's incredibly frustrating And you talked about, I mean, it sounded like you sort of talked about going around the UCI. What are the, what would be the methods of doing that? That's what we're trying to do in terms of amplifying the voice of the peloton, you know, and trying to engage supporters of cycling and fans of women cycling to shout loudly about it as well and to, to call for the governing body to make change and start being um, having a bit more of an interest and engagement in women's cycling. Other sports have done that really, really well by engaging outside corporate sponsors and genuine grassroots fans like women's football did that brilliantly kind of looking at other sports that have done it well and succeeded in a very male dominated sport that led by a very you know male dominated board um looking to them for examples and trying to follow their trajectories is it necessary to stay within the framework of the male federation i mean i'm going to call it the male federation <laughs> well, that, that's what it is <laughs> i mean could you go completely outside of it and start your own federation is that at, you know is that at all possible yeah, I think anything is possible. Sure. <laughs> whether we can pull that off ourselves, I don't know. And whether whether that is the way to go, I don't know. But I think we need to make enough of a noise about it that that does become a concern. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only way that they're going to pay attention. Right. Talk a little bit about getting sponsors and supporters on board in a way that would allow you to, like, really actively fight the UCI. Yeah, so we, we've recently launched a new supporter membership, which enables like a lot of the committed fans of cycling, who themselves are usually very vocal supporters. They're often people who believe in equality. Obviously, I'm speaking kind of from a very broad brush here, um, but trying to engage them to have their voice on social media as well to kind of lobby the UCI and to speak out in the newspapers and to raise issues. So engaging a really committed cycling fan who's interested in women's cycling. I mean, there's lots of them out there, but they're not a united voice at the moment. There's there's people there that speak out about it in social, but they don't speak about it together. They don't kind of create a noise together. And we want to join all of these people up so that when we see issues or we spot inequalities, that we can call on these people to also lobby in the media and to lobby on social. And it is the same with corporate sponsors. We need to kind of get huge companies that aren't traditionally interested in cycling, but have a genuine interest for um, equality or or changing women's representation in sport and, and get them to work behind us. Like I think Skoda, as an example, did a brilliant job because they sponsored, I'm not sure if they sponsored, but the way in which they dealt with it was with the women for the internationals um, who rode ahead of the Tour de France right. last year. I know Skoda was involved in it, but I can't necessarily quote me on exactly how, but they, they took out you know, a, a double-page spread of one of the papers in the UK which called for equality in, in women's cycling. And we need to get more people like that to understand and see that there is a huge problem here as well. I, I think a lot of the time people genuinely aren't aware of the disparity between the two. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. 
Let's say that you you guys found a sponsor who was interested in you know making a significant contribution, financial contribution to supporting women's road cycling. How would that actually work? Where would the money go? It's a very good question <laughs> <laughs> because there's so many different options and that's what we're trying to explore at the moment is what is the best way to take it for women's cycling once we've gathered the support what do the riders looking for is it that they want a new race is it that they want to be having equal pay or or is it that they want to be doing a full tour like these are different views across the peloton as well and so we spend a lot of time surveying and discussing with the peloton like what would be the best way for you to drive change like we'll we'll amplify your voices we will use these people and we will use our sponsors to try and amplify these uses for what is the best outcome for you. And that's what we're working on over the next year or so. Do you have any sense of what that's going to be? Or what are some of the possibilities, maybe? I think I, I would like to see, a total, I'm just conscious that what I think may be very, very different to what the women of the peloton currently see as the future. So, you know, there, there could be me speaking in my corporate head rather than me speaking as representing the women's riders. Sure. But I think that cycling needs to do something completely new. I think it needs to do something completely different and innovate. For example, like Cricket did with the T20. You know, they came out with a new format to engage new followers and new supporters and people that weren't previously interested in cycling. And I think women's cycling should take this opportunity to do something like that, a new race series or a new league, you know, a bit like um, Women's Super League and Netball, like come out with something that hasn't been done before. Right, interesting. But th- that's my that's my view rather right, than right. That, of a, that of a professional rider. Right. I just want to make that distinction. Sure. You mentioned the Tour de France, so I, I cannot help asking about La Course. Yeah. And La Course, for people who don't know, is the one day, and I'm going to put this in quotes, Tour de France for women. Mm-hmm. And for me, this really wraps up so many of the issues facing women's cycling. And, you know, the, the riders are offered, like we talked before, the riders are offered crumbs and they still show up because they always feel threatened. They don't want to make a scene. Yeah. And they have to because it, it still is giving exposure and coverage to their teams. You know, the whole sponsorship model of cycling will only survive when there's exposure. So they need to turn up because there isn't many other opportunities to get that sort of coverage. And that, to me, is where it's fundamentally wrong. It shouldn't just be tacked on as a kind of afterthought to this like exhibition event where the men get to go off and do as they like for three weeks and we just kind of put the ladies on at the end. You know, yeah, I, that's where I go back to my point of thinking that we should be doing something completely different and standalone and giving the women the coverage and the excitement and showing the the qualities and the characters of the female athletes and the female peloton, you know, and giving them that opportunity to shine outside of just being lumped in with another event, which is just put on as a bit of a nod to women's sports. I'm interested that you say that they have to show up because for me, it just feels humiliating. I mean, I, I do see why you're saying that, but it just, oh my gosh, to me, it would be so hard to be there and do that race. Yeah, I, I can see it from that perspective, but I also see it from the riders' perspective in that they need to do what their sponsors and their teams want them to do. And, you know, it is very difficult for them to argue against it. Sure. No, I, I do get that. I also want to talk about a phrase that I heard a lot when I first started the podcast, and, and that was years ago, and I've heard it much less lately, but sort of this idea of, you know, so many organizations like the UCI is like changing them is like turning a battleship. And that argument like really, really makes me irritated because, you know, it, it's not, you know, somebody at the UCI could decide today that the management committee had to be 50% women and they could make that happen. Yep. yep. It goes back to that point I was trying to make earlier, which is that there is a time now to rethink 
to rethink models. You know, everybody has down tools globally around the world. There is times to think about different ways of doing things. You don't have to rebuild and remold in the exact same way you did something previously. And that's where I'm disappointed that the UCI haven't taken that time to do this and to think about things differently or say, okay, well, we're going to restart the calendar and we're going to make sure that we have 50-50 representation and we're going to make sure that the women's races are protected the same as the men's races. You know, they could have used this time to think about doing things differently. And yeah, I, I find that phrase frustrating as well to say turning a battleship because I, I think we shouldn't be trying to make them turn. We can just build our own ship, you know? Right. <laughs> right. If, if it's not going in the direction we want, then why not do something different? And, you know, some women's sports have done that really, really well. And I think now is the time really to start thinking about different ways of doing it and building a different model. And I, I think that there's appetite out there for that as well. Mm-hmm. From what you've seen and you're the person that deals with the UCI, I gather. What has been their reluctance? Like, what, what are they telling you? Yeah, so it's, it's Iris Moore who's um, directly with the UCI, I lucky, would lucky say, her. probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we haven't had any conversations with them recently. Oh, and no, that's not for want of trying. Sure. Or requesting, or even asking for female representation at these discussions around COVID-19. You know, it doesn't have to be one of us, but are they getting representation from other riders? Are they hearing, are they speaking directly to the peloton? You know, it's about hearing, having the voice at the table, not just the TCA at the table. But yeah, we, we haven't spoken to them at all, despite requesting to. Do you know what their reluctance is? They don't want to upset the apple cart. They're, they're just plowing on. Right. This is their model. This is the way they're thinking about doing things. This is the way things have always been done. They're just plowing on. And for me, that, uh, yeah, I'm shocked. If you had to, I mean, we talked a little bit about this, but if you were going to design the next, you know, like what you wanted to see in five years, what would it look like? So I think reaching all of those minimum standards we've spoken about so that the women are treated as professional athletes, not just kind of the way I see it. They're just treated as like bit parts or actors in this whole big circus rather than the stars of the show, which is what they are. So Whatever that model may be, I think that I would like to see that the women and also the men in men in cycling see more of the commercial return. Um, at the moment, I can't see how any of that revenue really flows down to them. They're all kind of getting by on, on very minimal wages. So I'd like to see that change. And I'd like to see the women celebrated for the incredible athletes that they are in the way that other sports do a great job of doing that. I think that's what I'd like to see. It is interesting, you've mentioned this a couple of times, that there are sports, you know, like triathlon, for example, but I also recently found out about skateboard and surfing are quite equitable. So Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. triathlon is a great one, and they've just recently launched a new model, I think it's the Collins Cup, um, which is a way of distributing the revenue back to the athletes and a bit more. So I think they've done a brilliant job. I mean, women's tennis also, like mm-hmm. as you say, we're going back to the Billie Jean King examples. Obviously, they still have a bit of a way to go, but women's tennis is, is watched just as avidly as the men and the coverage given is, I, I don't know the statistics, but right. the coverage is far more equal compared to women's cycling when only 4% of cycling coverage was dedicated to women's last year. And there's other sports like athletics as well. I think they do a good job of giving coverage and stories to the female athletes. So yeah, there are examples. It it can be done. Yep. What changes have women seen in the last several years? I mean, it's still bad. So how has it improved? You guys have done a lot of great work. So I know that it has improved. 
um, eras when they first started with the TCA, that, so there wasn't any form of minimum wage, and now there is a minimum wage and maternity rights for women's world tour riders. So that in itself is a significant steps so there is change being made it's very slow progress and that doesn't impact the majority of the peloton but it's a start so there's definitely some change being made there but i think there's huge change since they first started the tca in the wider world in the wider perception of women's sports and also i think in the way in which people are calling for change in women's sport It, it used to be that people sort of said oh it'd be nice to see a bit more women's sport and now people are saying well this is ridiculous that there isn't coverage and we want to see it and consumers are demanding for more representation of women so a study done by Women in Sport showed that six in 10 people wanted to see more coverage of women's sport. So I think people are being a bit more vocal. So I think there's a wider change and wider attitude change towards women in sport as well, which is happening outside of cycling. Mm-hmm. What's your greatest frustration? Oh my gosh, there would be so many. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that the governing body aren't looking to make change. I find that incredibly frustrating because I think, why would you not want to embrace this opportunity? Why would you not want to generate better revenue by opening out this whole other world of women's sport that you have right at your fingertips? Why would you not want to develop that? I mean, that just shows they're they're not thinking forwards. They're holding on to their power with a firm grip. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they're keeping this little pie, great. But I think as COVID-19 has shown and the vulnerabilities that the cycling pie has discovered as a consequence is that it's not a very big pie in itself and actually they could be opening it up and much, much wider. I think I've kind of lost the pie analogy, but I think you see where I'm going (laughs) with it. (laughs) Well, you know, I just talked to somebody with the Women's Sports Foundation and one of the analogies she said on the podcast was from Billie Jean King. And she said, I'm going to switch analogies a little bit, but she said there are two cakes. We're not talking about one cake. And if you add women that the men are going to suffer, there are two cakes. Exactly. Exactly. And who doesn't want two cakes? Oh, my gosh. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We could probably talk about this for years i imagine and you know it has the call for change in in women's sport and representation of women's sport has been called for for a a long time and if you think how long ago it was that billy jean king was calling for this and it it still isn't equal so yeah (laughs) go on about it for days but i do think that there is like i was saying before a wide appetite for it now and i do think the time is now other sports have done it very well. Women's football did it very well. They just kept going. They kept calling for change. They kept saying, actually, this is unequal. We want to see more representation. I think we just have to do the same. Yeah. I get very frustrated with how long it's taking. You know, I keep thinking we're so close and then, like, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one step forward and then that's it for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And yeah, it's really frustrating. And I I just find it quite incredible, really, because I do think, you know, everybody knows as a universally accepted truth that sport is a powerful thing that can change people's lives. And I I just can't believe that there isn't a way of of showing women's sport and broadening that story. I don't see why improving women's sport is seen to be, like you say, detracting from men's sport. Like, sport to me has been one of the greatest and most empowering things I've ever done in my life and it's given me so much confidence and if you can spread that amongst women and encouraging grassroots sports yeah I'm sorry I'm just going off on a totally different angle now I could be here for hours I I yeah (laughs) I don't know (laughs) I love it that's a nice segue to my next question which is what are you doing now to stay physically active what's your routine 
mostly going out with my daughter on her bike. So she's three and we've used lockdown to get her riding her bike without stabilizers. And like you just see the joy and the freedom she has when she's riding her bike. And yeah, I think it's quite amazing. So all I'm doing really is just chasing around after her. I'm getting out on the the odd bike ride when I can. But yeah, it's quite difficult trying to juggle full time job, TCA and a a three year old. (laughs) Yes. Well, and I bet she can be quite speedy. So you might be getting a pretty good workout. Yeah, I went from the first week just walking and this morning I had to put on my running kit and jog <laughs> alongside her. We did about a 3K loop, which I thought wasn't bad for, for a three-year-old. But yeah, I just and then I watch her and I think, why should she, if she wants to do this full-time, why should she not? Why should she not get paid the same? Why why is she not considered to be of equal power? And Yeah, anyway, <laughs> again, I'll just go off. Do you have any words of wisdom or advice for young kids? It would be to... Find find a sport that you love. It's not just cycling, but I think that there is a sport out there for everybody um, because it builds a great community. It's incredibly empowering. You learn so much from it. So it would be, yeah, just find a sport and hopefully at some point in the future, if you are a girl, you will get paid the same for it and you will receive equal coverage. So, But just keep on going. I like it. One more time, I'm going to ask you if there's anything that uh, you want to add before we wrap up. This has been really terrific. Um, no, I guess it would just be join us. Call for change. Anybody can make change. I do genuinely believe that just by taking a small step every single day, everybody can affect change. So, yeah, join us and help us because equality is for the betterment of everybody, not not just the women. How can listeners do a lot of that work? What would you like them to be doing? Join us as a supporter. You can join us for 35 years, become a member, but also appreciate it's a very difficult economic times for everybody. So you don't have to be contributing financially. You can just be being vocal about it, speak up and speak up every time you see inequality. It doesn't just have to be in a kind of cycling or sporting capacity. Every, every little bit helps. Great. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Share this episode with friends so more people can discover these amazing athletes. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Hear Her Sports. Also, make sure to check out the show notes and the website at hearhersports.com. Please be safe and healthy. For those of you in the U.S., please register to vote and send in your vote by mail application if you are planning on voting that way. Till next time, bye-bye. It's because I just get carried away because there's so many different things I want to talk about. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo jo, Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network.